Welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back once again. We are slowly and surely working our way through the book of Nehemiah. It is our study. It is our series entitled Rebuild. He is Nehemiah, the main character in this book, and he is the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes in Persia. And already we've covered five chapters or five installments worth. Remember in chapter one, Nehemiah was asking about the condition of the walls. When he heard how they were torn down in disrepair, his heart was just broken within him. He was praying and weeping and fasting, wanting to see what he could do. Chapter 2, he heard from the king. Nehemiah, why are you so down or downcast? What can be done? And Nehemiah prayed and then asked the king, and he was granted his requests. Chapter 3, he got the workers together, and they were working on the wall, beginning on all of the walls, all of the sections, piece by piece, section by section. Then remember chapter 4, external conflict, people who were opposing him, people who were coming against him to do what God had called him to do. Last time together, chapter 5, was some of the internal conflict. What do you do when some things happen and take place? How do you deal with conflict? And then today we come to chapter 6. Chapter 6, we see that the enemy is not content simply to let you keep doing what God wants you to do. If opposition's not enough and some internal conflict getting stirred up isn't enough, well, then guess what? He's just going to try to throw a whole bunch of distractions at you to try to get you off pace, try to get you off course. And so today, that's what we're looking at. How do you deal with distractions? The enemy's at work distracting you and I. In fact, sometimes he doesn't need a whole lot of help. We can get pretty distracted on our own. But we're going to look here, chapter 6, dealing with distractions. And a first thought, a first principle from Nehemiah is this. For you and I to deal with distractions, we must focus on God's work. Focus on his work. Check it out. Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out I'd finished rebuilding the wall, and no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So the, the walls were, were finished. There are still some sections here with the, the walls and the gates, but man, things had been taking place. So verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, how many of you know, sometimes when you just see the name of something and it just, it's a little bit humorous. I mean, here, they're wanting him to meet in Ono. And when you're reading this book, you're like, Nehemiah, oh no, don't you dare do that. The plain of Ono. Now, Ono, it's about uh, 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem, which it's basically about halfway between where they were and where Nehemiah was. Now, if you're, you're listening to this, you think halfway, that sounds reasonable, right? How many, how many times have you and I heard the phrase or used the phrase, why don't you just meet me halfway? That, that sounds reasonable. In other words, you give a little, I give a little, we meet in the middle. Whether you're trying to negotiate the sale of something or you're trying to negotiate a settlement or a disagreement, hey, meet in the middle. That's about what they were trying to do. Seems reasonable. 
except for the fact that they were seeking to distract and do harm to Nehemiah. Why should he go 25 miles away to a place that's surrounded by hostile territory? Plus, it's not like he would just jump in his car, truck, van, SUV, hop there in a short time, meet, and hop back 25 miles by foot or on animal. It's going to take him some time. And what's Nehemiah been about? The work. God's work. It's going to take all kinds of time to distract him and get him away from the task, the job, the work that God had called him to do. That was his primary mission here. So Nehemiah is refusing to compromise, and it's a great encouragement or challenge for us to continue to focus on God's work. So in the midst of all this, they want to meet him in the plain of Ono. End of verse 2 says, I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them, and check this out, highlight it, underline it, circle it, let this, let this be big in your heart and in God's word. It says, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Now that's, that's the response. When the enemy's trying to distract you, when the enemy's trying to get you away from the work of God, your response is what? Uh-uh, enemy. I'm involved in a great work. I can't participate in this. That's what Nehemiah said. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Now, notice their persistence, verse 4. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. Four times. Sometimes you and I, we can kind of keep our defenses high the first time or two, but maybe get a little weakened or a little worn down over time. Somebody asks you to do something once and twice and three and four. Nehemiah says, no. I don't care how many times you ask me. I'm, I'm committed to a great work. I'm doing a great thing for God, and I'm not coming. Now, rebuilding the wall it was a pretty big task, but you and I might not think it was the most important, or Nehemiah or some of the others could have had that view. I mean, what's so big about maybe putting rock on top of rock, or block on top of block, or brick on top of brick? It didn't seem that glorious. Would you agree? It's maybe not the most prestigious thing to do. Here's Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer to the king. He was, he was in the courts of the king, and now he's doing all this work of blocks and bricks and rocks. And yet, Nehemiah said, this right here, what I'm doing for the Lord, his work, it's a great work, and I'm not going to stop and be distracted by you. So I want you to stop and think, there's a lot of different things you might be a part of whether it's here in the church, whether it's in, in the family, in the community, and it might not seem like that big of a thing. But if God's called you to do it, guess what? It's a great work. Don't give some of those things up. Don't give of your time and effort and be distracted by the enemy to keep you from the great work God's called you to. The enemy's trying to distract. The enemy's throwing all kinds of things at Nehemiah here. Hey, 
he and the others might think, it's just blocks, bricks, and rocks. Nehemiah is saying it's a great work. Maybe you're involved in something at the church. Maybe you're involved in something at the school. And it doesn't seem maybe as visible as others, but guess what? It is a great work. Whether it's something up front in teaching or preaching or worship, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes you might not see. Somebody on a soundboard to make sure that you can hear this. Somebody on a computer making sure that you can see notes and take notes. People in your classes who are studying and preparing through the week to teach you God's word. It might not seem as mighty or glamorous as some of the other things around in the world, but guess what? Doing what God has called you to do is a great work. Be faithful to that. Nehemiah is focusing faithfully on God's work. Blocks and bricks and rocks might not be glamorous, but Nehemiah says, it's a great work. I can't come. I'm not going to be distracted by the enemy. So you and I, we've got to say yes to God and his priorities. What are the good things? What is the good work God's calling you and I to do? Certainly, he's encouraging us to read and study and pray and honor and worship and give and serve and love. So much in God's word that he encourages us to do. Focus on that. Let's, let's not get so distracted by what the enemy might, might desire us to do. Start with that good stuff. Start with the priorities. If you and I don't start with what God calls us to do and we start with the priorities, we're never going to fit anything else into our schedule. Now, you and I, we've, we've heard it and we've probably used it a whole bunch of times. What's the phrase? I'm just so busy. Now, does anybody that I'm not aware of outside of Marty McFly old pop culture reference, have a time machine where you can have a whole lot more time than anybody else? I don't think so. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll get back to that. If, if anyone finds one, let us know. But chances are super good. You and I have 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and it's what we choose to fill our time with that's important. And Nehemiah is saying, listen, there's a lot of stuff that could be going on. In fact, I'm, I'm sensing that this isn't a good thing for me. Not only is it distracting, but I think you're, you're, you're out to get me. He said, I'm going to focus my time and my effort on what God's called me to do. I wonder how, how much different our lives would be if we did all the God stuff first and whatever was left with our time, we kind of distributed to everything else. Sometimes it, it, it gets reversed in our life. We say yes to everything else, and then when it comes time to, to God, to read, to pray, give, love, serve, any kind of thing that maybe would be in God's word, the common refrain is, I, I just can't. I just don't have the time. I'm just not sure if I could. Nehemiah is showing us, focus on God's work. Let's put him, God and his work first, focus in the priorities on that. And then basically with what's left, let's use that time. He said yes to God. He said yes to his priorities. And he said no to the enemy and his distractions. Now, I mentioned before, 
we, we often don't need a lot of help with distractions. You and I get distracted awful good on our own, right? There's this little device in our pockets or in our, I was going to say our purses. I don't have a purse, but pockets or purses, wherever you carry your phone or digital device, right? I mean, it's got so many things. Beyond just calling somebody and seeing how they're doing, calling, texting, emailing, internet, apps, sports, reading, music, the list goes on and on. How many of you, you pull that phone out at least once a day? How many of you, it's more like, you know, 5, 10, 15 times an hour? I mean, it's amazing how many times we look at a cell phone. And then maybe you've got a tablet, or you've got a computer, or you've got a, a gaming device. I mean, we could rattle off all kinds of things, and chances are good we'd hit one that distracts you. I mean, I'm guilty, right? You open up an email, you go, I don't know if this is you or not, but I hate it when there are unopened emails in my inbox. I am bad at checking my, inbo uh, my inbox multiple times a day. I mean, multiple times. And the way I have it set up is all the new ones are on top. And so you see all this new list. And I'll go on, you know, and a lot of them you just delete, delete, delete their newsletters or their sales or their ads or their things you sign up for years ago and they keep sending you stuff. But I'll look at articles and be articles about sports or about technology. Oh, that's interesting. I click on it. And I'll, I'll open up a bunch of things and I'll click a bunch of links. And I know some of you probably don't do it, but I'll open a whole bunch of tabs on my computer. So I think I'm trying to be, you know, smart where, you know, I go through all of my email and open up all the tabs. Then I go and read all the articles of the tabs I just opened. Guess what that does? There's other links to other articles in those articles. And so pretty soon I've gone down the wormhole. I've, I've spent time, I spent all this time, and then I go back to check my inbox and guess what? In all that time I just wasted, now I've got more email, and I can't just put it away, so now I've got to go do the whole thing again. It's a vicious cycle. I often don't need help getting distracted. Now, I'm telling on me, but I'd venture to say there's some similar things or other items that maybe involve you. Nehemiah here is saying, let's say yes to God. Let's put our focus, let's put our priority on the work of God. Do all of that stuff first and say no to the enemy and some of the distractions. Listen, some of the distractions are some good stuff. I mean, I've read some good articles. I've read some helpful and informative articles. But is that good stuff the best use of time? Nehemiah is saying, what you have to say, and, and we'll get into what some of their ulterior motives were here in just a little bit, what you have to say might even be good, but I'm not focusing on the good. I'm focusing on the great and on the best. God's called me to a work, and I'm not going to slow down for anything but God and his work. Remember, you and I were involved in a great work for God, so let's focus on his work. Secondly, Determined to walk courageously. When it comes time for distractions, and many times the enemy kind of 
attacking with various distractions, we've got to walk courageously. Check out verse 5. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. Remember, four times already he'd sent the notice, the letter, and four times already Nehemiah said, no, I'm involved in a great work, I can't come. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. We read that and we think, no big deal. Two potential results in this, in this text. Most of the time, and you can read in many other places in Scripture, when a letter would be sent, you would take some wax, you would put maybe a signet ring, and you would kind of seal that letter so you, number one, know who it's from, and number two, it can remain sealed. Now, you and I do the same thing, except we lick that yucky envelope and put a stamp on it and send it through the mail. How many of you, a handful of times maybe, have gotten something in the mail and it's slit or it's not sealed, it's opened? Don't you start thinking, hmm, wonder who's been reading my mail? So in this case, either, number one, the seal was broken, and now anybody and everybody along the way can open it up and read all the nasty rumors and lies about Nehemiah. Or option number two, he didn't even bother to seal it, sending it unsealed so everybody else could read it. Either way, the result is the same. It's an unsealed letter. In this 25-50-mile uh, you know, journey, it gets there. Think of all the people that have passed through that envelope. Now we're about to see what's said for Nehemiah. He is seeking to focus on God's work, but in the midst of that, he's walking courageously. Verse 6, this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations. Geshem tells me it's true. You and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you were building the wall. Now, you and I, outside readers here looking at the Word of God, we know it's false. We know it's not right. We know it's not true. But he's presenting this little innuendo. Well, there's this rumor going around. Well, you're in on the rumor, bud. Your buddy wrote the letter. Now it's over to you, and you're participating. You're trying to take Nehemiah down. He says there's a rumor. And according to his reports, you plan to be their king. Verse 7. He also reports, you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest you come and talk it over with me. Did you catch all of that? I mean, it's fear. It's intimidation. It's an attack on Nehemiah. He's putting rumor about him. You're, you're rebelling. You want to be king. I mean, everything's going to get back to the king. Threatening fear and intimidation. How does Nehemiah respond? Courageously. Check it out in verse 8. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. Remember, he's focused on God's work. Nehemiah says they're trying to stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. The enemy didn't slow him down. In fact, it, it caused a greater sense of determination in Nehemiah. In fact, one of the other versions or translations adds this sentence, says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. 
So he answers it directly. He says, no, I'm rejecting that. I'm denying that. It's not right. It's not true. I'm going to God. God, help me, strengthen me. And I'm going to get back to work with even greater determination. Someone said this, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the tenacity to do what's right, no matter how afraid you might be. I like that. Being courageous doesn't mean you're not a little nervous or not a, not a little bit on, uh, on edge, perhaps. But you've got the tenacity to do what's right, even if you might be a little bit afraid. Nehemiah was walking courageously in the midst of gossip and rumors. You and I know how fast gossip and rumors can fly. Gossip. Gossip is news you hurry to tell somebody before you find out it isn't true. And rumors? Rumors are nameless, shameless, and exaggerated. All of this about Nehemiah, rumors, and gossip. Saying that he wanted to be the king. And then adding in, and you and I heard, hear these things, right? According to reports, super vague, doesn't name individuals, as, as today it might be called what? Fake news. And then, according to reports, it's some of those things where people say, well, you know, everybody thinks. When you hear the phrase everybody, it usually means one person who confided in one other person. I mean, everyone thinks that. I mean, everyone I just recently talked to a second ago. Rumors, gossip, Nehemiah is not having any of it. He's walking courageously. He denied it. He prays about it, and he gets back to work. He wasn't trying to go out and or argue point by point. Well, you know, you said two things or three things or four things, and all are untrue, and let me give you a 10-page essay on why it's untrue. He just simply denied it. He says, listen, it's not true, and I'm getting back to work. But more than just getting back to work, remember, Sandwiched in between there is the praying. He says, God, strengthen my hands. Now, Some of you, maybe we read this and we wonder, why, why is he not spending more time defending himself? Isn't that kind of a human reaction? Someone comes up against you with a little bit of gossip or a little bit of rumor. Well, you know, here's what you're doing. Here's what you think about this. Many times, you know, we'd stomp our, our, our feet and pound our fist and say, that's not me. And we, we spend all kinds of effort trying to defend ourselves. What would Nehemiah do? It's not right. It's not accurate. It's not true. And I'm moving on. Dio Moody said this, if I take care of my character, God will take care of my reputation. Nehemiah wasn't concerned. He knew who he was. He knew what he had been doing for God and in the midst of this work for God, people would not buy the gossip and the rumors that were being spread about him. Plato put it this way, when men speak ill of you, live so as nobody may believe them. Sometimes we're so focused on trying to disprove stuff, we put all the energy into disproving something instead of the energy into proving and living the truth. If you know me, you know that this gossip and this rumor isn't true. 
If you know Nehemiah, you knew that what was in this letter wasn't true, even if it was unsealed and everybody's reading it. So Nehemiah was focusing on God's work. He was faithful to say, God, I'm doing a great work for you and I'm not stopping. Secondly, he was walking courageously. Challenging to do at times. You and I are to do that. Thirdly, we are to connect to God and his word. Verse 10, it says, Later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, grandson of Mehetabel, who is confined to his home. And he said, Let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. Now, pause right there. Doesn't this sound like a friend who's got the inside scoop and he's going to help you out? Hey, these people... These enemies, they're going to come to kill you. So I've got a way that you could be safe. Meet me inside the temple and shut the doors. Verse 11, Nehemiah replied, Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. And then check out verse 12. I realized that God had not spoken to him. Nehemiah was connected to God. He was connected to his word. And he knew this was not right. Verse 12 says, He had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. More bad guys doing more bad stuff. Verse 13, They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they could accuse and discredit me. Remember, Oh, my God, all the evil things Tobiah and Sanballat have done. And remember, Noadiah, the prophet and the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. You and I have got to be connected to God, to the Holy Spirit of God, with this thing called discernment. The power of the Holy Spirit is within you. How many times have you not had a little bit of a nudge? Sometimes it's a nudge to do something, to speak to someone, to bless someone. As, as simple as I got a coffee or a cappuccino this past week, I felt a nudge to buy the coffee or the cappuccino the person next to me. Didn't know them. I'd chatted with them, a couple, seen them maybe a couple times. There's a nudge. They can say, oh, it's just a, just a coffee. I'm sure they got a buck and a quarter. Sometimes it's that nudge to do something. How many times have you also had the nudge not to do something? You're about to go someplace. You're about to go hang out with this person, go to this place, or choose to do this. Or, you know, you're, you're purchasing this home. You're purchasing this car. You're investing in this uh, university or college, whatever the, the case might be. And you sense the nudge of God. It's not this, but it should be this. Discernment of the Holy Spirit. That's what Nehemiah had. Here's a person sounding good, sounding like he's trying to help him out. Listen, people are coming for you, so here's how we can keep you safe. Come inside the temple and shut the door. Now, who's supposed to go inside the temple? Priests. Was Nehemiah a priest? No. So Nehemiah, who's not a priest, going inside the temple and shutting the doors, as he said, verse 12, they would try to accuse and discredit me. How many times have you and I seen, and again, it comes out, and it comes out, and it comes out, 
photos of famous people in uncompromising positions. Coaches, politicians, I mean, movie stars. I mean, once that photo is leaked or once that video becomes public and it it goes viral and everybody sees it, everybody watches it, everybody reads it, what happens? That person is discredited based on what they've done. That's exactly what would go here. It's just without the technology of going viral. The enemies are saying, we want to try to trap Nehemiah into the temple. Nehemiah was not going to give in the, the nudge of the Holy Spirit, even though this was supposedly to save his life. He was not just asked to go to the temple, but to go inside it. That was for priests. Think back to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. King Uzziah went into the temple, warned not to do so. You can check out the results. He lived, but he exited with leprosy. So Nehemiah was connected to God, connected to his word. He knew what God's word had to say. If this person was legitimate, they're not going to ask him to violate God's word to save himself. I mean, all kinds of people say all kinds of things. Now, we've got to be careful when we start talking about discernment. There's a lot of people out there who say, because of the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, thus saith the Lord, and then they quote something exactly opposite to what's in God and his word. So discernment is this. God's not going to ask you to do something against his word. Nehemiah was connected to God. He was connected to his word. Chapter 1, he recalled God's promises to Moses. Chapter 5, he was familiar with God's laws of lending and charging interest. That was some of the issues we talked about last week. And here in chapter 6, he knew God's commands and instructions about the temple. We can be sure God's going to guide us, and he does so in his word. We've got to get into the word of God, spend time with him, spend time in reading, spend time in praying, spend time in worship, understand what it is that God desires. The more we know about God's word, the more we're going to know how to obey. Years ago, a rash of flying accidents for single-engine planes occurred across North America. A comprehensive study was done of the 44 most recent fatal accidents involving small planes. Here's what they discovered. First, all but one accident listed pilot-related causes. Second, and most surprisingly, it seemed that experienced pilots were responsible for a majority of the accidents. That would seem to go contrary to what you and I would think, that the newbies would be in the accidents and the experienced ones would not. It says, a few were caused by pilots with less than 150 hours of flight time, but over 75% of the accidents were caused by pilots with over 400 hours of flight time. Apparently, they assumed that because they had so many hours under their belt, they could cut corners and get a little sloppy. Beginning pilots with fewer hours were more careful, even painstaking in their pre-flight routines, meticulously inspecting every rivet of the airplane. They did it by the book. You and I are to do our life by the book. 
The study concluded that pilots who get overconfident and stop pursuing the ongoing safety training are four times more likely to have a fatal accident. One of the Christian authors cited this study in one of his books. I thought he had a great summary. He said, sometimes we as Christians are 400 flying our disciples. Accidents take place because we stop doing it by the book. We stop studying the word of God. We compromise on devotions. We slump on allowing the standards of Scripture and the Holy Spirit to inspect every rivet of our hearts and lives. We go on day after day cutting corners, wondering why we lose power on the climbs, and we stall. Listen, Nehemiah wasn't about to be caught up in that. He knew God. He knew what his word had said. He was connected to him and lived his life According to the book, you and I must do the same. Finally, these last few verses of chapter 6 encourage us to remember God's help. Verse 15, New Living Translation says, On October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. That's quite a project. About two and a half miles circumference of walls and only 52 days. Verse 16 says, when our enemies and surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. Check out the next phrase. They realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Nehemiah is saying, we've got to remember God does the work. Remember his help. During those 52 days, verse 17 says, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of Era. His son, Johananan, was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds and told him everything I said. Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. To the very end of chapter 6, it's distractions, it's opposition, it's fear, it's intimidation. Nehemiah is saying, listen, none of that matters because I remember that God is with me. I can face anything because it's God who is with me. Even these enemies, even all of these people, the surrounding nations, they realized it was God. That's, That's how we got this thing done. Block and brick and rock and all of just regular workers, we did it done. How? The help of God. Remember God and his help. They were not stone cutters by trade. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was really good at, here's your Dr. Pepper. I'm sure the king had Dr. Pepper, right? Mountain Dew. He's real good at handing that to the king. And now he's putting block and brick and rock on top of one another. Now, archaeologists have dug up the wall. They found that wall, in fact, was not perfect. It's crooked in some places, and the stones didn't always fit perfectly together. But guess what? They got it done because of the help of God. That's the only way you and I are able to accomplish the mission for God, the work for God. He's called us to focus on his work, not get distracted by all kinds of stuff around us. Remember his help. And think about it in a couple of different ways. First of all, remember how God has helped you. Think back to the past. 
whether that's last week, last month, last year, last decade or a century. I mean, think of how God has faithfully helped you in the past. Remember God's help. But secondly, remember God's help. Remember you're not in this alone. Remember, you're not facing the difficulties, hardship, opposition, challenges of life. Remember, God is there to help you. Even the surrounding nations knew that. There are people all around you who would admit, man, I don't know how they did that. It sure seems like God was with them. He is. Remember God's help. Make sure to connect to him and to his word. Determine to walk courageously in the midst of everything that we face. Let's focus on God's word.